My name is Julie Tai, and I am the director of chapel at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studios' audio stream of sermons drawn from campus chapels and preachers throughout our extended community. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Hear these words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Let me say that again. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Asking, seeking, knocking, and being good to our neighbors, to others around us. I struggled for some time with this text because although these verses are often clumped together, the theme was really escaping me. See, I could talk at length about fervently pursuing God through prayer, fasting, supplication, asking, seeking, knocking. And I also could talk about our modern-day obsession with self, yet the incongruent inability to self-love, thereby the inability to love others, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) But honestly, that all bored me to tears. And I thought, while today is the first day of Black History Month, I did not want to make my own Black history by presenting the most boring sermon of the year. (laughs) So... As I thought about the golden rule, a memory came to mind that I hadn't thought of in decades. My first apartment on my own, no roommate, was in the LA neighborhood of South Robertson. A 650 square foot, one bedroom, one bath, corner unit on the second floor with a glorious view of the 10 freeway. I was at the end of the hallway, and because the building's interior was kind of a polygon, I had neighbors on either side, even though I was at the end. And the woman who occupied the unit on the right side of that hallway was named Jane. Jane was probably not the type of person I would have gravitated toward on my own. She had the long, nicotine-stained nails of a chain smoker and skin that had likely not gone a single day with sunscreen on. 
She was a pack rat. So from the screen door of her unit, you could see towers of file boxes and storage tubs and more stuff on top of that. She lived alone in this labyrinth of things. But she enjoyed the sunset that was easily viewed from our west-facing unit doors. For this reason, I ended up meeting Jane because she would be at her door watching for the sun to set when I would return from walking my dog. And Jane liked dogs. At first, my dog and I would stop to chat, and mostly because she wanted to pet him, and he liked her too. I honestly didn't want to chat long at first because I wasn't sure I wanted to know Jane. I was young, I was selfish, and I believed that I had better things to do. But I'd stop nonetheless, and after a while, these daily chats became part of our rhythm. An expected time to hear from her about her day, complain about our apartment management, and share the brilliant pink LA horizon as the sun went down and she patted my dog's belly. As the spirit brought this long since thought of memory to mind, I thought about how Jane was very much alone other than those short visits. And it occurred to me for the first time that perhaps she didn't just love dogs because we literally had a dog park half a block from our apartment building, if that's all that she wanted. She wanted to talk. She wanted to connect, but she didn't want to ask. I know this because long past the season where the sun was setting at the same time as my dog's walk was ending, she somehow still happened to be at her door when we passed by. Jane was not going to ask. She never knocked, but she was seeking. Sometimes our seeking should be about paying attention to who is seeking us. Sometimes it's about being responsive to those who are asking and those who are knocking. For many of us in America, we have been asking, seeking, and knocking for a long time now. While I was piecing together my thoughts on this text just this past Friday, I found myself pacing the room. <laughs> I found myself pacing the room, and then I'd wait, turn to my desk, and I found myself leaning on it, and I found myself breathing out. <sighs> pushing air out of my lungs, and then <sighs> exhaling again. And as I repeated that pace, exhale, inhale, cycle, it occurred to me that I was laboring. I was in labor with a word from God, and it wasn't just this text that was in my womb, but my body was also holding the tension. The tension of the anticipation of a video that the Memphis Police Department had announced they were releasing that same evening. You see, this is a familiar feeling, bracing myself, 
bracing my body, my mind, my heart, my spirit, my very soul for the other familiar cycle that I knew was coming. See, first there's the terror of the video. All too familiar, an image bearer embodied in black skin crying out for help, asking, what did I do wrong? Assuming a posture of surrender, crying out for mama, and their voice and cries snuffed out by the cracks of fists, batons, boots, and the sickening sound an image bearer's body makes as it repeatedly is made to meet concrete. Next is the demonstrations. As communities organize or simply spill out into the streets in outrage, in anger, in disillusion, and grief, to ask, no, demand justice. Justice for Tyree. Justice for Keenan. Justice for, come on, shout out a name. You know their names. Justice for? Brianna Taylor. Justice for? Yes. Justice for all these names, this litany of names, this antithesis to the litany that we're familiar with in our churches. Then there's anywhere from 10 to 14 days of news cycles covering the story and the aftermath, opinion pieces, think pieces, maybe a sermon here and there, but no more than one Sunday. That's the unofficial rule, by the way. And then it's over. Like a frantic dance scene in a macabre musical, the dizzying score fades, the dancers exit to the wings, the set drop is switched back to the sunny main street, and the ensemble returns to the stage in different costumes, changed for the next scene where we all just move on. Two weeks ago at our MLK Jr. panel on Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited, Pastor Will Lewis said that we as a society are often too comfortable driving past trauma and being okay. And that's the cycle that my body was remembering because my heart is still racing from the dizziness of the terror of that scene. It evoked something in me, and I can't just drive on. I'm left standing there as the demonstrators leave and the mourners return home, and the casket is lowered into the earth. I'm standing on the set, and the ensemble just walks past me, plastered smiles on their made-up faces, and I know they see me but I may as well just be another set piece. So maybe these verses are not entirely about praying for what I want, but for what the Holy Spirit wants me to see, who the Holy Spirit, who she wants me to see. And so then I did the thing you're not really supposed to do, which is look outside the text you've been assigned. But I had to, 
Because I remember that earlier in the sermon, Jesus says, don't worry about what to eat, what to wear. I've got you. You're more precious to me than anything. So stop worrying. And so unlike the children in this text example who are asking for fish and asking for bread, which, by the way, Jesus is getting ready to multiply a few chapters down the way, I'm not supposed to be spending my precious prayer time asking for things that he's already promised me are taken care of. Ask, seek, knock. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, the negative way of stating this command was known long before Jesus. It had long been said, you should not do to your neighbor what you do not want him to do to you. But it's a significant advance for Jesus to put it in the positive, to say that we should do unto others what we want them to do unto us. My fellow English majors will let you know that this is a change in voice from passive to active. Jesus gives it a much broader application by putting it in the active voice and in the positive. It's what you do that matters. Inaction is much easier than action. When driving down the street, if I stop at a red light, I'm lawful. I'm not broken any rules. I follow the law. But if while at that light, I see a woman pulled over on the side of the road, with the hood of her car up, engine steaming, looking down at her phone, frustrated, stranded, and two kids in the back seat, one clearly in a toddler seat. There's no law. There's no law that makes me stop to see if I can help. There's no law against me just driving off. I'm lawful. I'm not broken any rules. But did I do unto her as I'd want someone to do unto me in that same circumstance? It's action versus inaction. And then later in Matthew, I love Matthew. Later in Matthew, Jesus will reiterate this idea in his illustration on sheep versus goats. He tells them the king. Jesus talking, the king, he's he's the king in the story. The king, Jesus. The king looks at the sheep on his right. He recognizes them. And he says, come on, John, come in. You know, I'm still full from that dinner you served me that one night. And then he looks over and he's like, Stacy, hey. You know, I kept that sweater you bought me for countless winters. It was so cozy. And then he'll look and say, oh, Darnella, I'll never forget how you put yourself in harm's way when I was being murdered. And you begged those officers to stop. You cried and you still got it all on camera. And I know you were terrified, but I felt your love for me 
Come on, get in here. All of you can rest now. And while John and Stacy might wonder which time that I served dinner and which time that I handed out clothes, Darnella will not likely need to wonder too much. And you know who's on the left. Or do you? See, there's some on the left who never cared and never even tried to do the right thing. But the part that gets me are the ones who thought that they were in with the sheep, but suddenly find themselves amongst the goats. Jesus says he tells them why they are there. He says, you, I remember you. You let me starve when I asked for your food because you'd already given at church. And there was also that time that I knocked on your business door and I was freezing. Winter had come early that year. But you just watched me on the security cam and pretended you weren't there. Assumed that I would move on and someone else would help me. And if all that wasn't bad enough, I know you saw me that day. You were walking by and you saw me get yanked out of my car by those cops those so-called officers. You heard the racial slur they used to refer to me. And, and you and I, we, we briefly made eye contact. You saw my pleading expression, but you figured it wasn't any of your business. I tell you the truth, when you refused to help all of those brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And then he tells the crowd, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Fuller Seminary, what are you driving past? Whose cries for help or pleading looks, are you walking past and justifying so that you can feel okay about it? Does your allyship only go as far as the art project slash protest sign that you create? Church, today God is calling us to put ourselves our very bodies, our very names, our identities, our reputations, our degrees on the line for the ones who are asking, seeking, and knocking. It is no longer enough to sit idly by and wait for the cycle to rinse and repeat and then rinse and repeat once more again. Rise up, Fuller Seminary. Stand up, Fuller Faculty. Stand up, Fuller Faculty. Stand up, Administration. 
Stand up, staff, rise up, students. Rise up and be embodied doers of the word. Jesus is getting crucified over and 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 over again. And he needs you to intervene, you to stand on real corners and on virtual soapboxes and in your syllabi because choosing one of five books by an author of color for your DEI requirement isn't enough. As a matter of fact, it never was. You need to rise up. Oh, I may lose my job today, but if we, the church of Jesus, the most revolutionary man in the history of humankind cannot rise and stand against the very real embodied evil of thin blue lines and white supremacy, then we will all be goats together. been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu slash studio.